Well, how are y'all doing this balmy December morning? It, it got to 43 yesterday. It's going to be 40 today. And this whole week, there won't be a high, they're saying, that, that will not be uh, below freezing. So it's going to be above 32 all week long. And I know, uh, yes. Woo! Which for our podcasters in Florida, they're going, oh, that's so terrible. But for us up here, this is like, this is like wonderful. Uh, I, I shouldn't make jokes about global warming, but I can't help myself because it's a serious matter. But uh, you're in the right real estate here. This is, uh, it, it only gets better here. It almost, it's almost to the point where you can no longer feel righteous for being a Minnesotan. Back in the day, you know, you're like, ah, 17 days, it didn't give above zero. We liked it that way. Now it's, Minnesota used to be for the, you know, the, the stalwarts. Now it's, any wimp could live up here. So, oh well, maybe I should move, move to Fairbanks, Alaska. That, that's, that'd be the ticket. Okay, so uh, we're in the series on uh, when God shows up. Started off the series two weeks ago by talking about who the God is that shows up. And we saw that, among other things, this God is uniquely holy. Uh, this God reveals his holiness by uh, taking on, by becoming our sin and becoming our curse. If you weren't here for that message, I encourage you to get it. And then last week, we had the Shane week. Shane Claiborne, wasn't he great? Uh, I love that guy. He, he, he's, he, he's, uh, he, he's a character. He's um, got that unique gift of being able to bring this conviction on you and knock you straight on your butt, but it'll have you laughing all the way down. And, and that, that's a, I know how to knock people on their butt, but I can't make them laugh about it. So I, gotta, I should be mentored under him. But uh, I appreciate the message that, that he had. So uh, today we're going to, he talked about how God shows up. And so today it's about when God shows up. And we're going to be giving some reflections about the Advent, what, what the meaning of Advent, what that means. So I'll set it up with a little history background. When um, Jesus was born into this world, the, the Jewish people had been already, they hadn't been a sovereign nation for over eight centuries. And they'd been, been in bondage to different uh, pagan rulers, which was already offensive to them because uh, they figured since they worship the one true God, they shouldn't be serving people who don't. Um, but then uh, under these eight centuries of hardship, the last 60 of which were under the Romans. And that was the most brutal uh, the Romans ruled by terror. They were terrorists. They, they got people to comply with their rules and go along with the program by installing terror in them. If uh, anyone uh, messed up with them, tried to cause rebellion or whatever, they just ride into town, wouldn't bother to just search out for that one person, uh, but rather would just round up some random citizens, try to get some of his relatives, and crucify them on a local hill, and leave them out there for three days for the vultures to feast on, um, just to show... Folks, basically to say, this is what happens to you if you mess with us. They were terrorists. And for Jewish peasants in particular, it was, uh, it was absolutely terrible. They had a life of hardship. Um, most of them had, didn't own very much at all. If they owned anything, they were more like indentured servants. And they were subject to the whim of the Romans. It was a hard and miserable life. Uh, but they had read in the Old Testament that, that Yahweh promised a, a Savior would come, a Messiah would come, an anointed one. And so as their suffering increased uh, under the Romans, their longing for that Messiah intensified. And by the time Jesus was born, having under, undergone 60 years of this brutal Roman oppression, uh, people were looking for a Messiah all over the place. They had messianic fever all over the place. It was at a fever pitch. Um, and the more that they longed for that Messiah to come, the more, more it raised the, the question, what is taking, them so, what's taking so long? God, how, how long are you going to leave us suffering under these pagans? Uh, when are you going to deliver us? 
They believed that when the Messiah came, that all their suffering would be alleviated. Ultimately, the Messiah would fix the world and bring a kingdom that would bring an end to all evil and all suffering and all sin. So they're looking for this Messiah. Now, Jesus, of course, was the Messiah, and he shows up on that first Christmas morning. And there's a sense in which he delivered everything they were expecting, but there's a sense in which he didn't. Uh, there's a sense in which he changed everything. His life, death, and resurrection changed everything. But there's a sense in which it didn't seem to change much at all. Uh, here's a sense in which he changed everything. In principle, Jesus' death, his, his life, death, and resurrection, it in principle brought an end to all sin and all suffering and all, all heartache. Uh, it, 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 uh, it, in principle, destroyed everything that could possibly separate human beings from God. And so in principle, it reconciled all human beings back to God. And in principle, um, it, it reconciled human beings with one another. Paul says that on the cross, God created a one new humanity, tearing down all the walls of division that could separate us. And, and in fact, he says that, that on the cross, God created a whole new creation. Everything old was passed away. Behold, everything is new. In principle. But now, see, the, a person will only experience what Jesus accomplished in fact to the degree that you surrender your life. You're submitted to Christ. And, and you're working to get your thoughts and your heart and your behavior in, in alignment with this new creation. To that degree, you'll experience the reality of what Jesus accomplished. But to the degree that we don't do that, we don't experience that. That's why we teach around here all the time that it's so important that when we define others and define ourselves as, as, as we're defined in the cross, that when we look at the world around us, every person we see, we're not to see the surface of the person, notice the behavior of the person or the the. the preference of the person or anything like that, where it collapse all of our judgments. And what we're to see is the new creation. That behold, in Christ, all things are, are, are new. And, and everything that, about them that is contrary to Christ, that's old. It's done away with. And God's got a bear around the whole human race and is claiming every one of them and, and is not holding their sin against them. And our privilege is that when the door opens, when the opportunity opens, we're allowed to share that with people. Hey, here's the good news. Uh, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's trespasses against them. It's given to us that message of reconciliation. That's what we're to preach and tell people, you know, that, that bondage that you're in, you don't need to be in it because it was taken care of 2,000 years ago. You can be set free. You can be liberated from this. Uh, just accept the fact that you're accepted. Be reconciled to God. So in principle, Christ accomplished everything. But because the majority of people on the planet and throughout history, the vast majority have not committed to being submitted to Christ and bringing their thoughts and feelings and behavior in alignment with this new creation. Because of that, the world is still under this oppression. And we see little of what Christ did in principle. We see little of it manifested as fact in this world. The world is still a place where there's massive injustice and massive sin and massive suffering and famine, starvation, war, and, and, and the likes of that. Um, now, Jesus told us, promised us that it won't always be like this, thank God. <laughs> thank God. That's that's the good news. It won't always be like this. We're in the stage where people can choose to either align themselves with this new creation or not. Um, but this, this epic doesn't go on forever. And he promised that he will return. And, and when he returns, we shall see him face to face, for we shall be like him. We shall behold him as he is, praise God. And, and that is when everything that he accomplished in principle the first time with the first coming will be manifested as fact but not, not, now not just in individual lives, but the whole creation, praise God, will be transformed. And the whole creation will reflect his beautiful love. And the whole creation will glorify God. And there won't be any room for any of that injustice, sin, suffering, disease, heartache, wars, and the like. Then it will be eradicated.
So in a real sense, the first Jews were, the Advent is a time of looking forward, a longing. You're looking for someone to arrive. And they were looking for Christ to come the first time. And they're suffering in the process. But now we are also in a state, in an Advent stage, because we're looking for Christ to return. Now the second time, to complete, to manifest what was accomplished with the first coming. And the more tapped in you are to the suffering of this present age, the more intense that longing will be. Folks who are living a little comfortable oasis life, they're not looking forward to Jesus returning. They, they, they're having the best life now. But the more tapped in you are to the suffering, whether you yourself are going through that suffering, or whether you're just aware and you're, you empathize with the suffering of others, the more intensely you do that, the more you long for him to return. And, and, and the more it raises the question, how long, Lord, how long? How long will you leave this world in this miserable state that it currently is? So that's, the whole globe is, in a sense, in an Advent season. But because we're part of this whole globe, we're part of this race that is still not aligned with the new creation, we ourselves go through Advent seasons, personal Advent seasons. Times when it's not just the general hardships of life are, are on us, but particular circumstances that we're in just race, kind of raise up that misery meter. And as, as, that gets, as that gets raised, we find ourselves longing and praying for deliverance from that particular situation that we're in. So for some folks here may be saying, Lord, how long will I be struggling with this cancer or this lupus or whatever physical infirmity you may have? How long? How long, Lord, am I going to have to wait till my marriage is, is reflecting something of what you designed a marriage to be? How long, Lord, will my husband be neglecting me and my children? How long, Lord, will my wife be disappointed in me and not accepting me as I am? How long, Lord, will I be in these financial straits? When will I finally get my act together and land on two solid feet with my finances? How long, Lord, will I be out on the street? How long, Lord, am I going to suffer this addiction problem? How long, Lord, will I be struggling with this depression? How long, Lord, will I be... Struggling with the voices in my head. How long, Lord, before I'm healed from the wounds of my past? How long, Lord, before I get freed from this paralyzing grief, having lost my loved one? How long, oh Lord, before the Vikings finally beat a team that's got a winning record? <laughs> Might be waiting for a while on that one, folks. But these are, these are personal Advent seasons. And, and when we're in those Advent seasons, those times of longing and waiting and praying, it's, 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 of course, necessary and appropriate to pray for deliverance from your situation. And it's, it's necessary to lean on the Holy Spirit and derive comfort and peace in the midst of that situation. And I always encourage people, when you're going through times where the misery meter, misery meter is higher than, than usual, to use that pain to drive you closer to Jesus. Uh, he, he, he's always involved to turn, like Dave said, he never wastes anything. Everything becomes material for him to bring something beautiful out of it. And one of the things he can do, and he does it uniquely well in painful scary, confusing situations is, is if we'll work with him, he'll, he'll use that pain to, to transfer even more hope onto him alone and to draw closer to him and be getting our full life from him. So that's a given when you're going through these Advent seasons. But there's two other questions that get raised that I want to address this morning. One is, is just how do we conduct ourselves when we're in the midst of this the, an Advent season, a confusing, miserable, painful time of life? I, uh, what are we to be doing about that? And the second question is, how do we hang on to hope uh, when it doesn't seem there to be any hope? And to answer those two questions, what I'd like to do is to take a little look at, at my second favorite character in the Bible. My first, of course, is Jesus. But my second favorite is Mary. And if you were here five weeks ago and heard my message, Where's Mommy? You'll know why Mary is always near and dear to my heart. 
I love this, 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 this young lady. Now, I, I don't have time to read the whole account of, of Mary uh, as it's found in the, uh, the Christmas narratives in, in Luke and in um, um, Matthew. So I'm just going to summarize her story, and that will bring us to the passage I want us to be paying attention to, all right? So here's the deal with Mary. Mary is engaged to this guy named Joseph, which tells us that I mean, typically in first century Judaism, girls were betrothed to men, um, sometimes more than twice their age, uh, but they were betrothed to men around the age of 13, give or take a year. And so Mary was roughly 13 years old. Um, both her and Joseph are peasant Jews, and so they're in an Advent season. Their life is a hard life, and they're longing for the Messiah to show up. Now, in the midst of this Advent season, this longing for the Messiah to show up, Gabriel shows up, the angel Gabriel. And the, Gabriel says to Mary, in essence, um, don't freak out. I, I know I'm an angel, and that's kind of scary. Every, first word that angels always say is, fear not. And we always think that there are these beautiful beings with wings, but I wonder if they're like really ugly, and that's why they say, don't be afraid. I'm not an alien. It's going to absorb you. Fear not. Don't judge my appearances. No insult, Gabriel intended. Um, so he, free, don't freak out. I've got good news for you. The Lord has found favor with you, and you're going to have a baby. And Mary probably initially thinks, oh, yeah, when I, once I get married, I'll have a baby. Oh, that's good news. But uh, no, this is going to happen right now. And Mary brings up this complication. Uh, how's this going to work? Because I'm a virgin, and I, last I checked, virgins don't just have babies. <laughs> There's a little process you have to go through uh, to get there. And, and Gabriel essentially says, you know, no problemos. God is God, and he can do anything he wants. So you're going to conceive and have a child, and he, he's going to be known as great and be called the son of the Most High. And he's going to establish a kingdom that will be forever and ever. Gabriel's basically saying that Messiah that everyone's been, been, been longing for, uh, well, you're going to be the mother, and, and, and you're going to be the means by which God brings this good news into the world to liberate the Jewish people and ultimately to fix all that's wrong in this world. Now, there couldn't be a higher honor than that. It doesn't get better than that. Emmanuel, God with us, is going to be birthed in human form through you. And so we look back on Mary and we say, oh, she's so blessed and so wonderful. And what an honor for that. You know, Mary, Mary mother of God. Uh, he's full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. I'm having a Catholic moment right now. That's it. I used to love when the priest would assign Hail Marys because I could whip through those rosaries like, Hail Mary, mother of God. I... 80 seconds and I'm done. Okay, so we celebrate her and we should, but see, here, we can do that. Oh, what a lucky girl. But we can do that because we know the rest of the story. Enter into where Mary would have been at the time she heard this, 13 years old. I, I'm sure she felt honored, beyond measure, overwhelmed with honor, but I, there had to be a part of her that was terrified because for a 13-year-old virgin engaged to be married, peasant Jew, this is about the worst news you could possibly hear. It means that she's going to have to have a child out of wedlock. And in first century Judaism, that was about as scandalous as it gets. Uh, Mary would know, at least she'd have every reason to believe, that if, if she says yes to this, she's going to live the rest of her life with people looking down on her. She'll be scorned by all upright society. This is a thing you don't live down in first century Judaism. <clears throat> All of her life. And that would be hard for, I think, an adult to accept. All decent people are going to judge you the rest of your life. Uh, 
You'll be seen as a sinner par excellence the rest of your life. That'd be hard for an adult to accept, but if you're a 13-year-old girl, that had to be pretty overwhelming. On top of that, she would have every reason to believe that her fiancé, Joseph, was going to end this engagement and get out of it. In fact, he almost did, but the Lord had to intervene and say, no, you know, actually, she's telling the truth. Because Mary wouldn't expect anyone to believe her story, that she was conceived by the Holy Spirit. They, they, no, they, they would believe that she just got pregnant the usual way, but out of wedlock, and that's scandalous. So any decent man would put her away, as Joseph was planning on doing. But not only that, but she would know, have every reason to believe anyways, that if she says yes to this, she's never going to get married. It, it was brutally harsh in first century Judaism. Um, if you had sex out of wedlock, let alone gave birth to a child out of wedlock, you're, you're, you're in the class of untouchables. And no, any man who would marry you would now join you in that class and would share in the shame and the scorn that you'd be receiving. And that's, there's not a whole lot of guys who are, who are going to be willing to sign up for that. And what makes the situation even worse is that, that uh, for peasant Jewish women who weren't supported by a husband, your options were very, very limited. Especially for Jewish women who had had a child out of wedlock. Uh, basically, it comes down to you could be a beggar. So you and your child can spend your life begging on the streets, begging from the very people who disdain you. So this is a life of total humiliation. Or you could rent out the one thing that you own, and that is your body. You become a prostitute. And prostitutes in ancient Judaism, as well as in other cultures, were most frequently women who just were too proud to beg, didn't want to go through that. So as, as Mary's looking at this, I imagine she was, yes, very honored. She felt very honored, very flattered. This is as good as it gets. But at the same time, to say yes to this is you're basically saying, uh, for the sake of the good of the world, I'm going to give up my life. I have to sacrifice my life. And I don't know a lot of people who would do that, let alone a lot of 13-year-olds. 13-year-olds don't tend to have a real robust global consciousness. So it would be totally understandable, I think, if Mary, this 13-year-old girl, if she said, well, Mr. Gabriel, um, I'm really flattered. Honestly, I'm really flattered. Thanks so much. But uh, you know what? Um, my life is already really hard. I'm a Jewish peasant woman for crying out loud. It's a hard life. It's not fair to ask me to take on a, an even greater burden to make my suffering 10 times worse. Uh, so you know what? No, no, thank you. I, I, plus, I'm just not really into the gig of, 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 of uh, not getting married at any point in my life and working the streets. That's just not me. You know what? But there's this gal named Ruth, four houses down, and she's 17 and hasn't been married yet because she's not very good looking, and so she'd be way more open to this prospect than me because I'm kind of cute. That'd be totally understandable. But that's not what Mary did. That's not what Mary did at all. Here's how she responds. Luke 1:38. Then Mary said... And she knew what she was signing up for. Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. I find that to be amazing. This 13-year-old girl, here I am, Lord. If uh, that's what the Lord wants me to do, knowing full well the cost that's involved in this, then I'm at your service. I'm at your service. Do unto me according to your word. I'll play this role that you want me to play. I find that to be breathtaking. She's already got a hard life, and she's willing to invite more misery on it for the, good, for the good news that it will bring to others. And this tells us the first thing that I think we can learn from her about when we are in our Advent season. Uh, in, in, in the state of suffering that, that we're in, we're, we're to say, even though things right now are confusing, they're, they're painful, and they're misery, and in, in that situation, 
Don't wait till you get out of that situation. But in that situation, you offer yourself up to the Lord and say, Lord, how would you like to use me to be a conduit by which you bring good news to others? Though it may, it may seem like it's going to intensify your suffering. It's going to put you out even more. You say, here I am, Lord. Use me to bring good news to this world. I'm, I am your servant. And so, so what we learn from this is that when you're in your Advent season, a state of confusion, suffering, whatever it may be, don't just wait for your deliverance. Participate with God in the deliverance of others. Look for occasions. Look around where you can pour yourself out towards others. Now, the, the, the one exception to this is if you're in an absolute crisis mode, in emergency mode. And there are seasons that get like that where you just have to rest and be ministered to. Got that. But that is not a temporary spot to stay in. I mean, that's only a temporary spot. Don't ever make that your home because uh, that's not the home where kingdom people are supposed to be living. We don't have to wait until we get all whole before we start ministering to others. Because uh, if, if, if you get into that mindset, you may be waiting a long time. We're, none of us are totally whole. He always uses us in our brokenness. But even when the brokenness seems more manifest than other times and the suffering more manifest than other times, offer yourself up to the Lord. And here's one of the reasons why this is so important. When, when, when the misery meter has, 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 right, raises up in our life, we tend to get self-absorbed, don't we? We tend to like, like, like look at our suffering and that it occupies our whole brain. And we start to mope, or at least we can. There's a tendency for us to start to feel sorry for ourselves, to start throwing ourselves a little pity party because life is so terrible and life is unfair. And, and you begin to complain about the injustice of life. And, and you begin to look around and see what others have that you don't have. Oh, that is the worst poison in the world. How come they get to be healthy and I have to suffer with this chronic illness? How come they get to have you know, all this wealth, but I'm here living in poverty? How come they get all the breaks and I get none of the breaks? Why is life so unfair to me? And you know, the, the thing is, you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, I, I, I'm sure that your, your life is exceptionally miserable if you're going through one of these Advent seasons. And it is grossly unfair. It is unjust. There's no rhyme or reason to it. You've got every reason in the world to complain and mope about and, and, and go in that pity party. You're absolutely right about that. But if you do that, it will only intensify your misery. A lot intensify your misery. Uh, you start, the minute you, we define ourselves as a victim, poor me, life's always unfair to me, and we start blaming everything else and everyone else for our misery, well, you, you experience far more pain than you otherwise would be experiencing. You see, it, it's, uh, it's like putting a, like a Hubble magnifying glass on your pain. It just amplifies the whole thing. Amplifies the whole thing. Instead, we, I gotta follow the example of Mary. Where, where right when we're feeling that tendency to like feel sorry for ourselves and poor me, whatever, uh, to just get our focus off of ourselves and start focusing on others and say, Lord, here I am, use me. This is one of the problems with identity politics. And they touch on some real issues. There's real issues there, but the way it's operating now, everybody finds a category where they're a victim, where they're a victim of injustice and life isn't being fair. And they're right about that. Who can argue with that? It's terribly unfair. But all it does is it makes everyone miserable. I'm a victim. No, I'm a victim. I'm a victim. I finally found a category where I can be a victim. You want to know what it is? There's a group out there for men who have been circumcised. And this group says that all your problems are the result of the fact that when you were eight days old, a nurse attacked you with a knife and went after your unit. No wonder you're so traumatized and such a loser. <laughs> finally, I can feel like I'm a victim. I'm suffering here. And I realized I just told 20,000 people that I'm circumcised. I'm embarrassed right now. Right. Well, see, you get the point. Best thing you can do. Pity could eat you alive. 
as kingdom people, as kingdom, <laughs> I hate those moments, as kingdom people, our job is to get our, to follow the example of this 13-year-old girl and get our mind off of ourselves, our focus off ourselves and ask, how can I serve the world? So maybe you're going through a period where your, your marriage is in an Advent season and you're working on things and it's just feeling miserable. I got that, I got that. And, and if you're in that season, pray for deliverance, pray for healing, do all you can do to work on that marriage, get comfort from the Holy Spirit, draw closer to Jesus. But don't focus on your own misery and how unjust it is that you're married to this loser person and things like that. I encourage you to say, here am I, Lord. Here am I, Lord. How do you want me to be used to bring good news to others? And, and, and God might open your eyes. He, I promise you he'll open your eyes to some needs that you can meet, that he wants you to meet. Maybe he'll call you to volunteer with our mentoring program here at the church. Or maybe he'll call you to volunteer at the refuge or whatever. But you'll find that just doing that alleviates your sense of suffering. Why? Because your mind is elsewhere. You're focused on helping others. Maybe you're in a season where there's a physical affliction that is just getting you down. And, and, and uh, uh, pray about that and get comfort from the Holy Spirit and draw closer to Jesus. But whatever you do, don't just focus on that. It is unjust, it is unfair, and it is un uh, painful. But say, here am I, Lord, here am I, Lord. Uh, how can I be used to birth good news into this world for others? Uh, where can I serve? And maybe the Lord will open your eyes to the neighbor on your block who could really use a friend. Or maybe the Lord will bring you to volunteer at the plaza or some other ministry. And watch how that just alleviates your own suffering. Maybe even brings a little joy underneath that whole thing. Because joy is not incompatible with suffering. You can have a sense of joy, if your mind is right, uh, while you're in the pain, if your focus isn't on the pain. Amen? Or maybe you're in a season where you're, you've always dreamed of being happily married and having children and living happily ever after, but now you're 43 or 53 or whatever, and it's looking like that dream's not going to happen, or at least it might not happen. You know, letting go of dreams is hard, uh, and unless you're living the dream life, which I doubt anyone is, you've had to let go of some dreams. And there's, a, there's an appropriate time to say, you know, that, that was just a dream. I got to let that go and accept the reality. But I want to say this. If you're, if you're thinking that you're going to be miserable and lonely the rest of your life because you didn't find a husband or a wife and you don't have kids, uh, you're, buy, you're just wrong-headed on that. You're buying into this American mythology, sleepless in Seattle mythology, that, that says that you need a person to complete you, complete you. And I'm here to tell you that that is a complete lie. You do not need a husband to feel whole or a wife to feel whole or have kids to feel whole. You can be whole in Jesus Christ and in the body of Christ. In fact, there's some married people listening to this that will say, staying single maybe is a prerequisite to that. You know, it's, it's, the grass is always greener on the other side of the hill. And, and, and so I encourage you to embrace that. But whatever you do, don't just focus on how lonely you are and how unfair it is that other people have spouses and you don't. That's the worst thing you can do. It'll just make you more miserable. Rather, just say, here am I, here am I, Lord. How would you use me? And, and, and open your eyes around you. There's plenty of needs around you and the Lord will lead you to, to some of those if you're, if you're willing. And you'll find that that just so alleviates your suffering. Maybe the Lord will call you to minister to a neighbor or visit hospitals or work with children or maybe you'll... Lead you to join the tap group here. That means once a month. And we party down and you welcome people with disability labels and you throw off all the labels and you're just people having fun together. And it's so kingdom. We just had it here last Friday night. And it is so fun and so kingdom and so beautiful and so sacred. Maybe the Lord will lead you to that. And in fact, if the Lord led you to that, I could guarantee you that you're going to find some really great friends there because there's a lot of really great people there. And when you have those friends around you, meaningful relationships, you don't feel lonely anymore. Hallelujah. Whatever you do, don't focus on yourself. Offer yourself up to be used by God to minister to others the way Mary did. So that's the first thing we can learn from this beautiful 13-year-old girl. Second thing, 
is how do you have hope when the situation seems hopeless? So Mary, soon after she conceived, she went to visit her cousin, uh, Elizabeth, who also was pregnant. And uh, she was pregnant with uh, the one who would come to be known as John the Baptist. And they're sharing all the good things that God is doing. Um, and in the, in the midst of their sharing, Mary, all of a sudden, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, breaks into this song. It's kind of a spoken word. And, and here's what she says. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And we should. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear or revere him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the powerful from their homes and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, ancestors to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Now, the last half of that song sounds like Mary is celebrating things that God has already done. She uses the past tense. The Lord has, has scattered the proud in their thoughts. The Lord has, has brought down the powerful and raised up the lowly. But what's interesting is that when Mary is proclaiming this, that hadn't happened yet. God, God, hadn't, God hadn't brought down the proud and lifted up the lowly. God hadn't scattered the proud. Um, God hadn't vanquished the powerful. And God certainly hadn't yet delivered Israel. That hadn't happened yet. So why is Mary speaking about it in the past tense? And the answer is, is this. She's, and this is something to, to note because the Bible has quite a bit of this. We don't, do, we don't speak this way usually uh, today. And so a lot of people misinterpret some of the passages that speak this way. But she's using what's called a proleptic voice. A proleptic voice. And she's got a proleptic vision. And a proleptic voice and vision is simply where you, you, you speak of and think of things that you anticipate, things you expect to be in the future, as though they had already happened. Um, it's a way of expressing extreme confidence that this is going to happen. Mary's actually talking about what's going to be accomplished in the world because of the baby that she's carrying within her. Um, and, and she's expressing such confidence in this under the inspiration of the Spirit that she's speaking about it as though it had already happened. You know, she didn't know it, but in a couple short years, one of those proud and powerful and rich people uh, are going to be chasing her and Joseph to try to kill their child, Herod. So this hadn't happened yet. And yet she's so confident that it will as a result of her bringing Christ into this world that she speaks about it as being already done. And she's doing this while she herself is in an Advent season. She's a Jewish peasant, so she's under Roman rule. That's miserable. And now she's invited in on this life, the scorn that's going to come to her the rest of her life. But she doesn't define her, her, her faith in the future based on her circumstances. She bases it on the promises of God. Praise God. This is what faith is, folks. This is what faith is. I go to this passage a lot because it's so important, but uh, it's Hebrews 11.1, 1, which says, faith is the substantiating. This is the literal translation of this passage. Faith is the substantiating, hypostasis in Greek, of the things that you hope for and the conviction, elegkos in Greek, the conviction of things not yet seen. That's the essence of how we do faith. Faith is about 
seeing the future that you believe is God's will, seeing the future that you hope for, seeing the future that you're in this Advent season for, but you see it, envision it as a substantial reality, as a concrete, in your imagination, you see it concretely, you see it vividly as though it had already happened. And as we do that, it creates in us a conviction that it will be so. And there's a whole lot of neuroscience I could throw in here right now if I had time, but our brain identifies as real, something in our head, to the degree that it's vivid and concrete and real-like. And when you envision a future that you believe uh, is God's will and that you are hoping for, uh, it creates in you this conviction that it will be so, and that motivates you to begin to move in that direction. That's what it is to have faith. And so when we're in an Advent season where there's suffering going on, um, it's so important, don't focus on that suffering, but rather exercise faith. And see the deliverance that you're hoping for, the healing that you're hoping for. See it as a concrete reality. Uh, and, and enter into that with all five senses. Experience it as though it was real. And it creates in you a conviction that it will be so. so which itself lifts you out of the suffering that you're in, in, involved in and now motivates you to move, to move in that direction. If you're just focused on your misery, you don't know you're doing this, but you're actually having faith that that misery will never end, even if you know it will end. But, but if your imagination is focused on how terrible life is to you, uh, it will create in you a conviction that this will be so. It's always going to be like that. And that quadruples the, the suffering that you're going through. Instead, don't live in a short mental narrative that ends with your suffering. Stretch that narrative out and see the deliverance that you're hoping for and praying for. And, and, and let that produce in you the conviction that it will be so and move in that direction. Now, what you're hoping for, what you're envisioning in the future as though it already happened will vary depending on your circumstance. But I'll give you a little illustration of what I'm talking about. Um, my dear wife, Shelly, a.k.a. Biso, I've been calling her that since the first day we got married, and I have no idea why. It's just, it's just stuck, Biso. But um, some say it, maybe it's related to Bisa in Spanish, which is kiss, but I didn't know that. Besides, I'm saying Biso, not Bisa. Anyways, chalk it up to moderate Tourette's, all right? So um, Shelly, the last three years, she's felt increasing pain in her right knee. Uh, first, when she was, she'd, go, she'd go out jogging, that became difficult, so she had to give that up. And then even when she was just walking, it's gotten worse and worse and worse and worse. And it turns out that she has lost almost all the cartilage in her right knee, and she's got bone grinding on bone, and she's got arthritis throughout the whole thing. So the doc says, that knee's got to go. We've got to replace it. Um, now, 13 days ago, she went, underwent that surgery. And some of you who have had knee replacements, and I know there are a couple here, uh, you know how brutal, I mean, the good news is that you get your life back. Uh, bad news is you got to recover to get your life back, and it is brutal. Uh, I'm told it's like one of the most painful recoveries that you, you could go through. Hips are nothing compared to knees. Uh, they've got her on, do, I mean, three times a day she's got to put her, her, her leg in this rotating device to rotate it. And every day she's got to up the, 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 the degree to which she, she bends it back, and she's like always groaning when she's like, oh, 90 minutes three times a day. And she's got these 40 minutes of exercises, brutal exercises, painful exercises that she's got to do three times a day. And then she's got to ice it for 30 minutes and be off uh, of icing for an hour, then back on it for 30 minutes whenever she's not doing one of those two things. Except that she's supposed to walk around now and then and try to go up and down the stairs and make sure that you're using that knee. And it's not like a recommendation, like it would be nice if you did this. They they put the fear of God in you, or at least the fear of not walking in you. Because if you don't do this, you'll develop scar tissue and your leg won't have full range of motion and you'll be living the rest of your life. So Shelly, who's kind of rule-oriented anyways, she's been doing this religiously. And it's so painful. I'm upstairs in my office, and all I hear is, oh, 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 oh. I feel like I'm in a torture chamber or something, because I am in a torture chamber. She's being tortured. Never heard so much grunting. 
And my heart breaks for her, you know, it's, it's, it's a hard thing to go through. But I got to tell you that there's also something, she's very funny um, during this period, because she's on pain meds, <laughs> real strong pain meds, Oxycontin. And, and she's popping these things once or twice every four hours, uh, and, and it makes her loopy, uh, just zingbat crazy loopy. Uh, <laughs> It also makes her really grouchy, which I thought it would make her happy. I, I, don't you, aren't you supposed to get happy on these things? That's why people get addicted, right? We've got this opioid crisis, but I don't think it's because people want to be grouchy. It's like, honey, what's wrong? You're supposed to be happy. Well, I'm not, so deal with it. And she just gets, you know, it, it, and so, so like she's losing things all the time, and that's my role in the family. We don't need two losers in this family. I, she, she usually can remember exactly where, it's amazing. And, honey, have you seen my, I'm always saying, honey, have you seen my, and she's like, oh yeah, I saw it. And it's random stuff she just remembers, like a photographic memory. But now that she's on these drugs, she doesn't know where anything is, and she gets grouchy with it, like, where is the remote control? Where's the, my pills? Where is this? And I'm like, I don't know, honey, I'll try to find it. You know, I'm just trying to serve you, just trying to be a humble, humble servant here. And it gets, it gets her really confused in the head. She just does uh, weird things. Like, like we went to, the other day, she thought her leg was getting inflamed, so we went to the emergency room, and, and the doctor is doing inventory, and at one point says, so how much do you weigh? And she goes, 525. <laughs> like, really? You're only off by a mere 400, give or take. It's, it's like, unfortunately, she can laugh at, at, at some of that stuff, but she gets so confused. Um, you know, she's... <laughs> I'm going to change the station. Give me my phone. No, no, honey. You think about the remote. She gets words confused all the time. And she has to talk with so much intentionality. It's like painful to talk. Like, would you just please get me the thing? The thing. The thing. She uses thing a lot. All the time. The other day, honestly, she said, will you just get the thing inside the thing? Get, get, get it. Yeah. It's like, and, uh, honey, what are you talking about? She's like, you know, you know. The thing. Or, I, I need to get, the, 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 I, I got a cup of this yogurt I want to finish. It's in the, the thing that, it makes things cold. But what is it? It's cold. It's a refrigerator. Yeah, 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 that's it. But she's, like, she's able to laugh at herself afterwards, and I chalk it up to, to, the, to the drugs. But as she's, she's in this Advent season. It's a very painful Advent season. And as she's going through this, I'm always just telling her, honey, um, uh, look, in, in eight to ten weeks, they say, uh, you're going to be able to walk pain-free uh, for the first time in three years. Just envision that. Uh, we're going to be going on vacation here in a, in a, in a couple months. And, and, and just see yourself walking on that beach without any kind of pain. Just so free. And just enter into that and enjoy that. Enjoy that. And, and we're going to be able for the first time in two years to go bike riding together. We used to always do that in the summer. And she hasn't been able to do that. She always hears this clicking in her knee when she did it. But now you'll be able to do that. No clicking and no pain. And we'll be able to walk the dog together. So just enter into that. Make it three-dimensional. Associate with that. And I'm, I'm encouraging her to have faith. And, and as she can do that, see, as she envisions that, the more real it is, the more it develops a conviction of, yes, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And that, that then motivates her to press through this pain. Because you know it's not just meaningless pain. This is going to get you that, praise God. That's what faith is all about. That's what faith is all about. Whatever you're going through, yes. Envision, envision concretely the end game on this. And even if you have terminal illness, well, we've all got terminal illness, right? We're all going to die, so we, we, this applies to all of us. But it can feel hopeless, like there's no... I mean, you, you pray for healing, and you get comfort from the Holy Spirit, and you draw closer to Jesus, but at some point, this thing ends. 
And see, here's where it's so important that we don't live in a short narrative, but a long narrative. Um, you know you're ultimately going to be healed. You're ultimately going to get freed of this addiction. You want it to be in this life. You want it to be as soon as possible. But, but sooner or later, you are going to be if you're hanging on to Jesus. And, and it does the soul good to enter into that and to envision that. I visit heaven at least once a week because it's fun and it's enjoyable. Who could enjoy this? You just have to put in some nice music and just go there and journey. And, and, and I, I envisioned the most beautiful world I can possibly envision because I know that however beautiful I envision it, it's going to be far, far, infinitely better than that. You know, Paul says that the present sufferings of this present world, which are to me just nightmarish, they can't even be compared to the glory that God has in store for those who love him. Hallelujah. So... However beautiful, I, that, that just tells me it's unimaginably beyond what we can ever dream. I'd be happy to just have the dreams fulfilled, but God's going to overfulfill them. So, so don't be afraid of dreaming too good. Just enter into that and enjoy that. Because what happens is that the more you stretch your narrative out, the longer your narrative is, the smaller your current problems are. If you're living in a short narrative that ends with death, which is what most people, they're having faith that death is the end, even though they may believe in life after death, the, your mental narrative is what you're having faith for. And if, if your narrative ends at death, then that's how you're going to experience life. And so this, this season you're in feels really big compared to the 70 or 80 or 90 years that you've got. And then maybe far less than that. But it feels big. But you stretch that out 10,000, 20,000, 40,000 years. And you see how small this is. I frequently uh, zoom forward. If I'm in the middle of an Advent season where I'm stressed out or whatever, uh, I, I, I spend time... Zooming into the future 10,000 years. And I, I just entered the glory of that. And just experienced the beauty of that. And then notice how tiny, 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 tiny my problem is from that perspective. Sometimes me and Jesus will be sitting on a sofa. I'm serious. This is how my brain works. Uh, but we're sitting on a sofa and we're, we're just enjoying, like, we gotta, we're watching TV. And uh, we, we, we hit a station that is my past self 10,000 years ago. And we watch the episode I'm going through right now in this, in this reality. We, we, we look at that thing and we laugh our heads off. Because you were so stressed out about this. It seemed like the sky was falling. The sky was falling. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. The world's coming to an end. And we just laugh at how small it is now that we're in this glory. And, 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 and we marvel at how God took that experience and wove it into the whole fabric of this creation to bring something beautiful out of it. And yet I couldn't see it at the time. But then what I do is I grab onto that perspective and grab onto that joy that I'm feeling and then take it back with me to the present and plant it, incarnate it right in the middle of my, my Advent season. And see, all I'm doing is I'm cashing in on my inheritance ahead of time. Which you want to do. That, that we're supposed to. You're going to inherit that whole thing, but don't wait till you die to enjoy that. No, take a little portion of it and put it right here. And in fact, we're supposed to manifest as much of that as possible right here and right now. And the longer your story, the broader your perspective, the smaller your problems. And that makes the things much more manageable and alleviates a lot of the suffering. But even when it doesn't alleviate, it gives you a subterranean joy underneath. So when you're going through the Advent seasons, folks, um, Make sure that, that you are offering yourself up for service. Don't wallow in, in, your, in, in the mess that you're in. It is a mess. It is painful. I'm not denying that. You're, it, on a human level, you have every right to just do nothing but complain. How unfair. But that will just make you more miserable and you'll be no good to anybody. Offer yourself up here, my Lord. Birth good news into the world through me. And then have faith. Don't base your faith on these present circumstances based, based on the promise of God and envision the deliverance of, that you're hoping for and praying for and ultimately envision how this end game ends. How, what is the end game of this whole thing? 
And boy, does that reframe your leg cross, your conviction, and change the way that you live. Amen? Would you stand? All right, I want to ask the prayer teams to come forward here. And if you're here this morning, maybe you're going through one of these Advent seasons, and there's anything that you have that could be used prayer, come up here and pray with these folks. They'd love to minister to you. And if you're here this morning and you're not a surrendered follower of Jesus, that wonderful heaven I just talked about, I can't guarantee that for you. Uh, I can only guarantee it for those who are submitted to Christ and are working to align their thoughts and feelings and behavior with this new creation that he brought about. And I encourage you to consider doing that. If you want to learn more, more about that, come up here and talk to these folks. They'd love to explain that to you. So as we leave here, can we do, a, do it as a people who, in whatever circumstance we're in, we're saying, here am I, use me, Lord. And can we do it as a people who are having faith, envisioning the future in concrete, vivid terms, letting that pull us forward towards that future. In Jesus' name, if you're in agreement with that, say amen and go out and love your neighbors. Amen. God bless you guys. See you next week.